Hi, everyone. Lynn Smith here, and welcome to Stroller Coaster, the podcast that takes you on the wild ride of parenting that we're all on together, created by Munchkin. No wonder they're the most loved baby brand in the world. This is a very special episode for us. This season, we've had amazing guests, experts, and stories, and they've given us so many important pieces of advice. There have been a lot of ideas that resonated with us so much that Justin and I tried them out in our own home. So today, we're going to share with you what we did, how our families responded, and the ways we've changed as parents. You do not want to miss our best reveals and And if you stick around to the end, you might just win something. Have you ever gotten a piece of parenting advice and it just sparks something for you? A new way of doing something or just the right words to use with your child that changes the entire situation? That's what I feel a lot of these episodes did for me, Justin. Oh, yeah. It's not just one piece of advice either. Hearing the interviews we've had and the stories and then putting a bunch of these things into practice, some not even on purpose, just because I understood something different uh, in a new way. It changed me. It changed my kids. It changed how I relate to my wife, my dog, the world. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to your stories. I can't wait to share mine as well. So here's the first moment that changed me as a parent. So this was from our episode eight. You may recall if you listened to it, it was called, How Do I Stop Yelling? And you heard throughout, this is something close to me. I struggle with this. And, you know, we talked about some of the strategies to talk to our kids instead of yelling at them. And we heard this great story from Rachel Macy Stafford, who was a yeller, but she completely changed. So here's the clip about one of the things she did to connect with her daughters rather than screaming. Listen. We had this distress signal where basically I would say, if mom is talking to you in a way that hurts you, or I'm being too harsh, I just want you to put your hand on your heart. I am going to take a deep breath when I see you do that, and I'm going to tell myself only love today. And that's going to give us a chance to get back on the path that we want to be on. Wow, (laughs) did this stick with me? Okay, so let me just describe for you what I've done differently and how it's changed me. So before I noticed that when my son would get really upset and I would get upset, I was only making him more upset. So basically, we were building and building and building until we both exploded and I would yell. And it really wouldn't get us anywhere. When I heard Dr. Shea talking about getting down to their level and asking them, What's going on? And I've done this. He was sitting by his toy box. I I knelt in front of him. I looked him in the eye. I showed him on my face that I cared. And rather than raising my voice, I looked at him and I said, what's going on right now? And it was as if his lights or the lights just turned on in his eyes. Like, you see me. You see I'm struggling. You see I need something from you right now, not having you yell at me, having you see me. And I've noticed when I put this into practice over and over again, I am a changed parent. I see the outburst change and I see my own stress level has changed. What I love about that, and I think we're going to sort of hear this theme repeated, is it's just such a small thing. It's taking a little moment out and just changing slightly. And the effects are huge, like you're saying, on, on everyone. 
And I just want for everyone listening, I'm not like a made now perfect parent. This was a very <laughs> hard weekend, by the way. And I didn't succeed at exactly what I've changed as a parent in doing. And you're going to have times where you still slip up and that's okay. Yes, and not only is it okay to slip up, it's absolutely normal. All right, my turn. So something that really made a change for me was um, from the first episode, a look at bullying, where we talked about some of the science behind bullying and how we can help to see how bullying affects our kids. Here's a clip of Melinda Wenner-Moyer with an idea that I tried in my home. Reading to kids is a really wonderful time to, to pause and kind of talk about feelings because books are full of, you know, stories of characters and different things happening to them and, and these characters having different feelings in response to that. So it was stopping and saying, you know, how do you think that rabbit is feeling or what do you think that this made him feel like? Um, that can be really, really powerful. And there's actually research that that shows that talking about feelings in the in the context of book reading can be helpful. Um, there was one study done where researchers invited moms and their toddlers into the lab, and they asked the moms to read a book to their toddlers. And they recorded how frequently the moms paused the reading to talk about feelings. And they assumed that, you know, the more moms did this in the lab, the more they probably did this at home, too. And then in the second part of the experiment, researchers invited the uh, children individually into another room and had them play with a researcher. And the researcher would pretend to need help with something. So she would drop a pencil, for instance, and say, oh, I dropped my pencil and I can't reach it and I really wish I had it. Or um, or she would say, you know, I'm, I'm super cold. I wish I had that blanket across the room. And the researchers found that the toddlers whose moms talked about feelings in the first part of the experiment while reading books, those toddlers were much more likely to help the researcher who pretended to need help in the second part of the experiment. So that's a really, really powerful way to build this emotional literacy and compassionate behavior is by talking about feelings. So I love this. Um, This is something that I did at home. Uh, Every night when I'm putting the kids to bed, we sit down, get cozy, naturally, and read stories. And I'll stop halfway through the story and be like, oh, so what is this bear feeling right here? And so I started doing that. And at first, my kids were like, why are you stopping here in the middle in this sort of uh, question and answer session you're putting in? And after a while, they would answer. They're like, I don't know what the bear's feeling. And I was like, well, maybe guess. And they would guess, like, is he sad? Is he mad? And then eventually, by like learning the story and being able to understand sort of the emotional journey of this mm-hmm. bear that I'm talking about, they would be like, oh, he's angry. This, is, this bear's angry right here. And it's become part of our nightly reading process. They're able to pick out what the characters are feeling. And it's really getting a conversation about empathy, like Melinda Wenner-Moyer says in the clip. And it's, it's great. It's been so good. And it can be challenging to know how do we help our children understand empathy. That seems so evolved. And this strategy of using the storytelling process and really connecting to your kids, read them a story, ask them about the emotions of the characters. This is getting down to their level and helping them to understand the emotions of others. It's such a simple thing that we can do. All right, next is our episode, Raising a Resilient Kid. And we talked about teaching our kids how to fail and how to try. 
Also, I really took away from the modeling process of this, that we need to model that it's okay to make mistakes. Here's Ginger Z talking about that. Listen. Well, from day one, I think modeling imperfection is the right thing to do. I think modeling that it is okay to make mistakes, at least you know, for my six-year-old who is already well on his way to being a perfectionist (laughs) and a people pleaser, I think it's really important for them to see that that life isn't all rainbows. Also think it's really important to introduce the idea that even though you can't see someone being sick, doesn't mean that they aren't sick. And it also doesn't mean that they can't get better. I had my son come up to me last summer and he said, mommy, what's, what's wrong? And I said exactly what was wrong. I'm sick today. And that's what was wrong. I think that was age appropriate for a five-year-old at the time is just saying, I'm not well today, but I'm going to do hard work and I'm going to go to the doctor and I'm going to talk to people and I'm going to make this as best I can, just like you would with anything else. Imperfection. We are not perfect. Let's model that. Let's be honest with our children when we've done something that isn't our best selves or that we made a mistake about. And that's really going to resonate for them in ways that I don't think we can show in any other way. We've learned this a lot when it came to our move, right? So we moved away from family in a big city. We moved to a small town. And it's been a struggle for both children. You you learn how to adapt. And there's been so many times where I wanted to jump in and make everything better. But the reality of it is that sometimes you have to go through something hard. So instead of avoiding it, I've sat down and said, it's okay. It's okay to be sad that we're far away from our friends, but we're going to make new friends. And let's talk about that too. Um, And so this has really stuck with me and changed some of the ways that I've handled situations with our own family. Being a perfect parent, that's such a bad idea to have because we're not perfect people and we don't want to show our kids that we're these like monolithic parents that you can't make mistakes. We don't want to raise someone who has that anxiety about being perfect. So I think it's just to fail in front of them and just be real in front of your Mm -hmm. kids. Be a real person. It's such a good lesson. Recently, I put this into practice because I started to play tennis with my son, but he gets so frustrated because he doesn't know how to hit a backhand. And so I explained to him about how bad my backhand used to be and how I used to just keep practicing. And then I missed it when I tried a backhand. And I said, see, even though I've practiced and even though I worked really hard at it, I still sometimes don't get it because it's really hard. And I think it stuck (laughs) with him. I think he was like, oh, mom doesn't always get everything right. And I wanted him to see it's okay to not be good at everything or it's okay to not get everything right. I love being bad at stuff, especially <laughs> games. Bad at games. sports. Yeah, I mean, my daughter's really into the monkey bars, and I try to do it, and I actually can't do it. So I'm failing very obviously at something she is good at. Do you uh, call yourself out on it? Like, look at what you can do, and I can't even do it as a grown-up. Exactly. I'm like, look, I'm bad at this. If you think I'm going to be good, you are mistaken. So I'm up next, and I had a shift in my perspective when we talked about our partners in the episode, I Can't Stand How My Spouse Parents. Here's a clip from Kate Stahl describing how what can seem like a small moment to her husband really affected her in a big way. When I'm yelling at my son because he's not putting his shoes on and the school bus is going to come, I'm not just mad because 
he's not listening to me. I'm mad because I'm thinking if he doesn't get his shoes on, then he's going to miss the school bus. Then I'm going to have to drive him to school. And this is a big one for my daughter. If we're running late for the bus, it's very much more likely she's going to forget her lunch. And then guess what? I'm getting a call 20 minutes later. Then I have to spend, you know, an hour of my day collecting these things, dropping them off at school. My day has already started in a very negative place. And all of these things are running through my mind as I'm telling my son to get his shoes on. And so when my husband hears, oh my God, you're freaking out about the shoes. I'm like, no, I'm freaking out about the 30 steps that could happen if the shoes don't go on and we miss the bus. So, you know, that's that's where the anxiety as a mother comes in and why I can get so triggered when he's like, stop yelling, it's not that big of a deal. And you're like, but it is a big deal. It's a big deal for my mental health. It's a big deal for everyone's day. You just don't get it because you're not the one who's gonna have to deal with the fallout of not getting on the bus. I love this clip because talking about the small parenting moments that we just aren't always aware of with our our partners. I was out of town and came home, was so excited to see my family, open the door, walk in. I'm, I'm excited. Keep in mind. So I take my coat off. I throw it on the table and walk in and there's two little bowls of M&Ms on the counter. And so just casually, I pick up a couple from the bowl and maybe more than a couple, if I'm being honest, and I eat them. And I see, I looked to my wife and I, she's still happy that I'm home, but I could tell something's wrong. I'm like, what What happened? What's, what's the matter? And she was like, you know, I, I had to go. I went to the grocery store today, forgot to buy the M&Ms, went back to get the M&Ms, a separate trip, came home. There's for my older daughter uh, because she did really well in school and that was a special treat for her. And you just ate almost all of them. And I was like, oh, that's just, I didn't, I wouldn't have thought that. And I should have. It's two little bowls there that clearly not for me to eat. So after that happened, this interview just flashed in my head and I was like, ah, this is one of those moments. And I apologized and I actually ended up going out to the store to replace the M&Ms that I had just swallowed whole like some sort of snake very quickly uh, because I, I understood it. I didn't have, we didn't have to get in a fight about it. Like, hey, I just got home. Can I have a couple M&Ms? I immediately understood. I could see her going through all those little steps to do this thing for our kids. And I had just sort of stomped all over it um, by accident. And for my wife's part, I think she was pleasantly surprised that I was able to sort of very quickly understand her perspective on it. And I think that's the, the big the big thing here, the big takeaway is really being able to see the parenting from the full sort of wide point of view and see how you and your partner are both working as parents, both physically, emotionally, everything. Being able to see sort of the whole picture is is such a useful skill. I think that it, it goes to we feel like oftentimes in relationships, there might be one partner that does more than the other, right? This came up a couple times where, um, you know, as a mom, I felt like a lot of the things were falling on me. I was making the appointments. I was taking the initiative to schedule the camps and the sports signups and all of that. And so one of the things that my husband and I did that changed our relationship and our parenting relationship is that we designated two things in the morning and two things Mm. at night that we are both in charge of. So in the morning, he's in charge of getting the kids dressed, get them in the car and shoes on, all of that stuff that creates such 
chaos. I'm in charge of getting them fed and getting lunches packed. In the evening, I'm in charge of getting their dinner and doing books. And then my husband is in charge with bath time and getting them all ready for bed. It's four things. But having those things designated and the expectation of it, we're not perfect with it every single night. But we have something to check ourselves and say, listen, I feel like you're slacking off in the bath department. Hustle up, get him up to the bath, or he'll look at me and be like, hey, I thought you were doing this, and you know we have this agreement. And it has just made it completely more manageable, and we're more communicative with each other and what we need to accomplish. That's great. There's peanut butter behind the ears. Someone's slacking (laughs) off at bath time. All right, this next one I took away incredibly helpful insight when we talked about brothers and sisters in our episode All in the Family. This was the siblings episode, and it's how sibling relationships affect kids as they grow up. Here's Dr. Siggy Cohen, who said something that really stuck with me. Listen. In most cases, parents tend to think that when the children are fighting, it's either bad behavior, they're doing something wrong, and they need to intervene, take sides, obviously, and manage the fight. What I say is, one, uh, fighting between siblings or any two people is just part of human dynamic. We can't not fight. So the illusion of our children not fighting is... um, is an illusion. (laughs) The assumption is an illusion. So what I work on with all parents is to help them recognize that their children actually do need to fight in order to learn about each other, learn their place in the family, understand human dynamic, help them fight their fights, manage the fight. So once the fight is over, their relationship is still intact. Okay, this was a completely foreign concept to me. Let them fight. They need to fight, right? This is a part of them understanding relationships, understanding their bond. And before, I would just jump in and intervene. Well, now, this this is something that we're doing because we've gotten to the stage, they're three and six, where they try and annoy each other, right? Even the little one. The little one knows how to— I'm familiar with this. I'm familiar with this. The little one just knows how to get the big one. So he'll be like, then the big one gets annoyed, starts crying, asks for me to intervene. And instead of intervening, which I would before saying, brother, don't try and annoy your brother. Now I say, you both know what it's like to feel annoyed by one another. You both do it to each other. You figure it out. It still continues. I then set a limit. If you don't stop at a certain time, here's what the consequence will be. If you keep this up, here's the consequence. First of all, they stopped after getting close to the consequence. But allowing them to work it out gave them a little bit of like, whoa, wait, um, not used to that. And, And something that she said was they're looking to see who you side with. And so now I'm just so conscious of every word not to make either one feel like I am I'm on their side, so to speak. Yeah, what you said just really hit me. They're like, you guys figure it out. That's definitely <laughs> something that I we say a lot here because from this episode, like learning like, yeah, we need to just manage the situation. It's an easier way for everyone to sort of work through a fight, I think. 
The other thing from this episode that I took away was from the parenting story of the day. Deborah Goldstein said, you don't have to like your sibling, but you do have to love them. I have three siblings. One of them lives in Denver, one of them lives upstate, and one lives in Brooklyn. And, you know, our relationships are always changing a little bit as we're closer to each other, further away from each other. And I definitely, like... The tension that pops up, being able to be like, it's okay to have a little disagreement for the next, you know, a couple of months, and we'll come back together in the summer and and resolve it. We don't have to like each other right now because we love each other in the in the long term. Yeah, and something that we can pass on to our kids, a message that, you know, you don't have to like them, but they are family, so you love them. All right, this is a big one for me. I was affected so much by our episode, Can We Get a Dog?, the Pets episode. We heard about the the huge influence that animals and the natural world have on our kids. But this one story just crushed me. So here's a clip from Joe Simmons, who adopted a therapy dog that completely changed her son Ben's life. When you're a parent with a child with special needs and you get all them looks and you get them comments, that's really hurtful and all you're doing is trying your best for your son your child say Cyril is Ben's dog and um, a few years ago my mum got diagnosed with cancer and I went to where my mum and dad were living because my dad is disabled to help my mum in her last two weeks of life and um, mum sadly passed and I stayed with dad uh, arranging mum's funeral I came home to Neil and Ben and I just sat down and I burst into tears. Cyril picked up on this. He came over to me and done me a headdress. He came to give me the reassurance that everything was going to be okay. So even though he's Ben's dog, he was there for me that day. He he helped me. Oh, I was openly weeping when I was hearing her story. This part especially, when this dog was able to not just be a big influence on Ben, but was able to sense that Joe was in a, a crisis moment, an emotional moment, and come up and just sort of take care of her as well. I think about this story constantly. Anytime I see a dog, I'm like, look at this dog. This dog is feeling everything right alongside me, its owner, everything. It's just, It just really gave me a whole new look at how animals and the pets we have in our homes affect our lives. I was blown away by Dr. Mark Beckoff. His insight on the influence of animals on children completely changed me, completely changed all of the... I always knew that having a dog in the family or having a pet is beneficial, but reminding ourselves that animals are like therapy, not just for children, but for the entire family. And also the natural world and the importance of exposing our children. You know, this is a time where we... Our kids are on screens. Our kids are indoors. We need to get them outside. We need to get them looking at the animals around them and connecting with them. And the ways that he described how to do that, I've put some of those things into practice. I I want my kids as we're, you know, we'll be driving to school and we'll see an animal and we'll stop and talk about it. And that's given them, I think, a level of connection to animals and the earth that I am so grateful for. Well, and Mark talks about the real lessons that kids can take and really put into their lives, um, empathy, responsibility, mm-hmm. being inspired by something that isn't a piece of content created specifically to be in your brain, being able to look outside and just see something that 
that exists is is so good for kids. Yeah, I think it's really meaningful for all of us to hear the dedication that Munchkin has to shelter animals. And we talked a lot in the episode about the misconceptions about shelter animals. And I, I encourage people to go back and listen to that because the passion and the mission of Munchkin to positively influence the lives of family members and children is evident in what they do and the organizations that they support. You know, we decided, especially after a lot of reflection, because I, I know how much it goes into bringing a pet into your home, but there was no doubt in my mind that the influence is well worth it. And so we actually decided to get a dog. <laughs> We're getting a dog. Um, hey, I know. great news. <laughs> We're very excited. The boys don't know yet, but I've just seen and been inspired by so many messages of what animals do to the lives of children that I want to give them that gift as well. That's great. Possible name, Justin. <laughs> Just throwing it out there. We have a great giveaway today. This is from Fiden Publishing. They publish incredible books, incredible children's books as well. So two lucky winners will receive four soon-to-be-released Fiden children's books that explore nature, teach kids about animals and planets, and most importantly, are such a blast to read. So for a chance to win, be one of the first two people to DM at Munchkin Inc. on Instagram with the phrase, just one more chapter, and you could be entered to win these children's books. Well, that wraps up season two. What a wild ride it was with all of you. We're going to be coming back at you soon with more guests and more information you can use. So make sure to follow us so you're notified when we come back. Thanks to all of our guests. And thank you for listening. This is why we do this. Spread the word to your friends about the show. We also want to thank Munchkin. No wonder they're the most loved baby brand in the world. You can find all of your favorite Munchkin products at munchkin.com. As we always say at Stroller Coaster, we are all about community. So we want to hear from you. What's the most important parenting piece of advice you've ever gotten? DM us on Instagram at Munchkin Inc. And you might just be featured in an upcoming episode. Halen, I just want to remind everyone about our other podcast for kids called Stroller Coaster Storytime. It's fun and funny. Two great things. And you can find it right here in the same feed. Just like you, Justin. It's been so fun to spend uh, this season with you. Same here, Lynn. It's been a blast. And now to something every parent can use, and you certainly deserve it. It's a timeout just for you. Munchkin loves our planet and our community, and we've covered a lot today. So for today's audio moment of calm, we're going to take a deep breath. Let's go relax and lie on a beach. We'll see you next time on Stroller Coaster. <laughs>